Welcome to Beyond the Tools, the podcast that helps contractors attract more leads, grow their business, and finally get off the tools. In each episode, you'll discover marketing tactics that work. You'll get actionable insights from other successful contractors and connect with experts to help you grow. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, owner of a social media agency that helps contractors attract and convert more leads. Get ready to take your business to the next level so you can finally enjoy the fruits of your hard labor. Ready? Let's go. Hey, contractors, welcome back to Beyond the Tools. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, and today we have a guest that is no stranger to the home services industry. Josh Kelly is the owner-operator of an industry-leading growth and consulting firm, Clover. He represents small to larger clients in the home service industry, specifically in HVAC and plumbing, working with contractors across the U.S. And what's really cool about Josh is he has helped to consistently grow companies from seven-figure to eight-figure businesses, and some all the way up to nine figures, over $100 million a year. Before devoting his work full-time to Clover, Josh has had an extensive background in marketing and operations, working with companies like Bonville International, Dial America, Review Kangaroo, and Pulse, and Parker & Sons. In particular, we dig into Josh's experience there and how he helped his family business, a local heating, cooling, and plumbing company in Phoenix, grow from $7 million in revenue to over $200 million in just 18 years. So what Josh and I really dig into in this episode is what makes those successful companies grow to the level that they are able to. So what Josh and I really dig into in this episode is what makes those companies grow to the level of success that they're experiencing right now. We talk about reporting, we talk about how to price yourself appropriately, and some of those hangups that you may have when it comes to your pricing. And lastly, we talk about how the peak season is over. For most of you, you're finding that your call volume is way down. So how do you make sure that you are having a successful shoulder season that's setting you up for the rest of the year? Josh is the real deal, and I am super excited for you to hear this interview. So let's head on over and chat with Josh. Josh, welcome to Beyond the Tools. So excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. So I know that you are very well known in this industry, and I think you have a lot of insight to share. But in particular, I know you have experience growing businesses up to, you know, seven, eight, even nine figures. Yeah. And in particular, with your work with Parker and Sons, you guys grew from seven million in revenue to over two hundred million, which is crazy impressive, by the way. <laughs> it's it's crazy in general. Like it's hard to wrap your around. I mean, we're we're on track to do two hundred and forty million this year, um, and we might actually do a little bit more than that. But you know, just uh, when I think back on like when when I when I got in the business, right, it was like a six and a half million dollar shop, and like. 
it wasn't even a possibility. You know what I mean? I was like, I remember George Brazil was the big guy in town. I was the biggest contractor I knew outside of four seasons, right? And they were like 30 million. And I was like, how are they doing that? It's physically impossible. You know what I mean? Now it's like, and then this is not like a, this is going to sound like a dick comment, but it's not meant to be. It's like 30 million is like, no, I, I do that every week. Like that's no big deal now. Right. But, uh, you know, op- opportunities have changed, you know, technology's changed, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a different world. It's exciting and really crazy when you really think about it. Yeah. That's incredible. And I know through, you know, all of your experience, as well as the work you do with Clover and the clients you get to work with yeah. every day, obviously you must know some things that really make a big difference when it comes to a company's growth. So what do you see as being like, I don't know, the major key or levers that somebody needs to pull to get to that next level in their business? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not a big fan of like one size fits all. So I'm going to give you a complicated answer to a really simple question. Love it. I think every business has a different opportunity, has different personalities, has a different owner, right? Generally, the biggest reason if a business isn't growing and like people don't like to hear this, but it's just the honest truth, it's because of the person running it or in charge just doesn't think big enough or doesn't think properly or isn't growth oriented enough or, or just is comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, if you're comfortable, you're not going to grow. Every company, like like a Four Seasons, a Service Champion, a Parker and Sons, an Abacus Berkey, an ASI, a We Care, you know, all these companies, like they have different, even like a Hiller or a, a Morris Jenkins, like, you know, we all have different strategies. We all have different systems. We, we do things differently, but there's a few things that are pretty consistent. The few things that are really consistent across the board to be really successful is the consistency on the basics. That's like the most, what I would tell you is a lot of people look for this like haymaker. Hey, if I just did this, you know, I'm going to grow 20, you know, 40% every single year. Uh, and there is no that thing. Uh, it's the blocking and the tackling. It's the simple things. It's having solid reporting and metrics, right? It's holding your team accountable. It's consistency in training and effort, right? Consistency in marketing. Uh, it's being proactive about the business instead of reactive or passive, right? Which are all like common sense and super simple things, but people don't do them. I mean, they just don't, right? Yeah. Some of them don't do them at all. In fact, most don't do them at all. And then there's others that just don't do it at the level that's required. Mm. So, I mean, it's the basics. I don't know how else to describe that. And that's a lot of things, right? Uh, you know, we talk about with technicians, I talk a lot about 51%, right? But, you know, what's the difference between a yes and a no? It's not 90%. It's 51%. They just have to want to do business to you ever so slightly more than they don't. Right. Right. And everything you do, whether that's wearing shoe covers, how you walk up to the door, where you park your car, how you greet them, they all add or remove a percentage or two. Right. But there's nothing in that process that's 40%. Like the big ones are four to 5%. I mean, most of them are one to two and you're just trying to add up to that 51% and business is the same way. Mm. So it's all about the little things. Over and over consistently done every single time. Yeah. And I know you mentioned before that reporting has made a huge difference with the work you were doing with Parker and Son. So tell me about that. What did that look like? I mean, number one, we, we run a DP report and now most large companies run a DP report. Small companies don't. Uh, DP is like a daily progress. It's your revenue compared to goal, which by the way, forces you to have a goal, which is important, right? Forces you to have recruiting goals and call volume goals, which is important. And, you know, revenue goals, like, you know, most contractors, 
really judge whether their business is successful or not by, hey, is my bank account going up? Yeah. And that's a terrible way to do business. And we don't have to go into the like the details of financials or everything, but if you're not paying attention to it and you're not, if you're waiting to the 28th of the month to react, mm. you're too late. Right. There's nothing to be done about that month. You've wasted the whole month, right? So creating that consistent, relevant reporting where you're tracking your most important metrics, like there are really, I mean, good size companies, not big companies, but you know, 10, 15, even $20 million companies that like How's your salesperson doing? Oh, he's awesome. He's going to sell 2 million this year. What's his closing percentage? Well, I don't know. Well, sh- okay. Can, can we pull that up? And we go through it. And it's like, well, he's closing at 38%. Like, is he a good salesman? You're just loading him up with calls. <laughs> I mean, like that's, if you don't know that number, then you can't make a decision whether he's good or not, but it doesn't mean you let him go, but certainly you need to train or make an adjustment. There's something going on there. A third, you're losing more calls than you win. Mm-hmm. That can't be a recipe for success, right? Right. Yeah. And especially when it comes to KPIs, I, I think, as you say, a lot of contractors do become more reactive and they don't know what they should be measuring and what they should be looking at all the time. Right. A hundred percent. And like most contractors, not all, but like there's things they pay attention to. Sales, they tend to pay attention to. Service, they semi pay attention to. But you'd be amazed how many contractors don't pay attention to you know actual marketing. What's my cost per acquisition per client? Uh, hey, calls. What's my actual conversion rate over the phone? Not like the made up one where we mark everyone that's not that we can't close as not a lead. Like, like what's the actual conversion rate? Right? Because so many people are like I need more calls, and and sometimes they need more calls. And I'm not disagreeing. That's not part of the solution. But, you know, I look into it and it's like, well, it turns out if you really look at it, you're closing 60% of your calls. You're losing what's realistically three out of 10 calls, right? You, you're losing four, but 95% is kind of the goal I go for, for a call center. It's like, do we really have a marketing problem or do we have a call center problem? Because if I pour more water, more gas onto that fire, it's just going to get out of control, right? It doesn't actually solve the problem. I'm wasting so much. So having that metrics, it's... It's like unbelievable. People don't track the most basic things. You know, they don't track, they don't even have a, you know, a digital install board and they don't really know how full they are. And we all conceptually know that, hey, if I keep the install board full, I'll probably be okay. Mm-hmm. But they don't track it. They're just like, ah, oh, yeah, no, we're busy. It's like, are we? Do you actually know that? You can't tell on Service Titan or Field Edge. That's not really an install board, right? Right. That's a dispatching software, uh, among other things. Mm-hmm. Going into a business and really starting with that, that's almost always the first place I look. Like when I go and consult, I look at the reporting and I look at the pricing. Overwhelmingly, people are underpriced and they don't even understand how to set price or margin. They have, you know, this you know, bullshit sold days thing or, you know, this uh, unrealistic expectation. Uh, you know, hey, 40% is a good margin. It's like, no, it's not. People get 60 plus, just so you're aware. Like, why are you so much less valuable than them? You're not, right? Mm. And then the other side is like, I ask for reporting. And when they don't provide reporting, it's like, ah, shit, I know exactly what's going on here. Because if you can't see what's going on, you can't really make effective decisions on what's going to change or what should change. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into the pricing side of things, because I know this is a huge struggle for a lot of contractors. Yeah. How do you go about properly pricing your services? So there's a few ways to do it that people do, and there's a right way. 
So the few ways is like, hey, I asked my you know comfort consultant. That's a terrible idea. You're always going to be too expensive, right? Hey, I go purely off competitors. It's my competitor charges. That's a terrible idea too, because they're not the same business. Too. And then some people do it based off purely gross margin. The truth is you really have to use both competition and gross margin as your metric. Uh, gross margin be the strongest one. Uh, and you have to set your pricing properly. Like, like on installs, I want to end up at 51, 52% of gross margin, right? Now we could go into the calculations, but I think people get that. And if you have questions about that, hit me up afterwards and we can send you a bunch of sheets and content on it. But I want to end up at 51, 52%, which means my book price can't be 51% because I know I'm going to have finance fees. Yeah. By the way, I know my guys are going to discount and give stuff away to get jobs sometimes. So I, I have to set my book price at 58, 60, 61. Right. Right. And to be clear, you don't put margin in the bank, you put money in the bank, right? So if I'm talking about a 20 seer system that's 25,000, I'm cool with the 58%. If I'm talking about, you know, I can only sell it for a little while longer, but 14 seer systems, uh, then I want a 61, 62 because I can afford to do it without losing customers, right? Mm. There's a system to this. And obviously, you got to have your pay structure proper. You got to make sure you've negotiated. You got to take care of it where you're not being unrealistic. If your contractor is telling me like, I couldn't sell jobs if they were at 60% margins, like number one, you either have a cost problem, which can be fixed pretty easily, which is a little bit of knowledge and effort, or you have a sales problem because you know if you have to be the lowest price, then you're an order taker. You're not a sales organization. Yeah. Yeah. And then just, just for reference too, we got that's, that's for install, for service. I really expect a 65% margin. I expect to get it actually. Uh, and then plumbing kind of similar, uh, above 60. Mm-hmm. If you're doing plumbing, electrical, same thing. Yeah. So how do you actually address that, though, if you feel like you're already priced pretty high or, you know, you talk to your competitors where your competitors pricing are at and you're like, oh, I couldn't possibly go above that level? Of course you could. Um, it's mentality mainly. Um, now, what I would tell you is, I, I mean, there's companies that do it and are very successful at it, and they accept a lower closing percentage and they, they're significantly higher than anyone else. Like, like a Ken Goodrich with Gettle, right? He's going to be, you know, 10 to 15,000 more than Parker and Sons, and he expects, accepts a lower closing percentage. That's not necessarily a way I want to do business, but certainly a effective way to make money. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no argument it's successful and Ken's successful, right? So I don't want to be the highest price guy. And I don't think anyone, I, I don't think most contractors want to or feel comfortable with that. But what I would say is if you feel like you can't charge that, a charge a realistic rate, a few things. Number one, you have a mentality issue. Uh, number two, maybe you're not delivering as good a service as you could. Meaning, are you not including things that, that really should be included? Are we doing a secondary drain pan? Are we replacing the disconnect? Are we doing all the stuff that you would want to do? Because if I build that in, it increases my margin and I take care of customers better. No one wants to be that low price leader. I would heavily recommend you not try to be the low price leader. You want to be that quality guy or that speed guy. Mm-hmm. One of those two things, right? Those are the three things that sell in our industry. Uh, so you have a mentality problem. You're not maybe not delivering as much value as you can. You may have a cost problem. I mean, some people is like, hey, I only sell train. I was like, that's cool. When's the last time you negotiate train and shop them around? It's like, it's been 10 years. I'm like, you have terrible pricing, uh, which affects what you can charge, right? So, I mean, uh, I know this isn't the most popular thing in the world to say, but you know, distributors, most of them, 
There are exceptions, but most of them aren't loyal to the contractor. Like, why do we feel the need to be super loyal to them? And the truth is, you're a train guy and you love train and that's what you want to do and you want to sell that your whole career. There is nothing wrong with going and talking to other people and just saying, hey, train, I'd love to sell you, but this guy's 40% less. Mm. Right? So it could be a cost structure. And then really another big piece that happens with it is it's not necessarily the owner, the GM that has trouble mentally thinking about that, but it's the sales team and the technicians struggle with it. So for that, you just do like a P&L exercise, which we can give details on that. But like, you know, you help them wrap their head around why things are priced the way they are and why they have to be priced that way. And it's actually really simple to do. Uh, it has a lot of benefits, not just beyond beyond just getting them to accept price increases or or uh, your current pricing. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to it, but it ultimately stems from the very basics of it. I think it's too expensive. It's You don't know what you should actually charge or what's fair, what's realistic. Uh, or you're not delivering enough value overwhelmingly. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I know contractors, in especially in heating and cooling now, we're coming into September, peak season is over, yeah. things are slowing down a little bit. This is where the good companies shine and where everybody else kind of falls apart. Mm. So what do you think the good companies do in the shoulder season that the losers don't? It's not losers. <laughs> That's right. Those are your words, not mine. But, but there's companies that don't do as well. There's no doubt about it. And there's companies that do lose. Um, but, you know, so complicated answer to a simple question. Number one is they stop doing the basics in the middle of summer. So they don't have as many maintenance agreements. They don't have the right text. They are not trained up. Their guys aren't as thorough. They're loading them up with calls instead of forcing them to be thorough, right? All the most basic stuff. And you can get away with that in the summertime. You shouldn't do it. It's not healthy. You're leaving a lot of money on the table, but you can get away with it and still make money. When things slow down, you can't do that. And you're behind the eight ball, right? So number one thing is like, if you were doing quality service and doing everything right all year round, you automatically are in a better spot. Number two and this blows my mind, but like, I mean, I'll, I get calls from people I work with, right. And we talk every week and I've warned them for a month. And I, you know, we have, you know, hundreds of contractors on a contractor catapult where we help them grow and they get content from us every week and every month and monthly coaching. And still like September 18th, we'll roll around here in Phoenix and I'll get like three or four calls. I'm like, Holy shit, my call volume's gone. What happened? It's like, well, it's perfect outside. You knew this was coming. It happens every year. <laughs> I mean, and what happens is good companies are proactive and have that plan in place now on how they're going to fill that board. Mm. The worst companies do nothing and wait for the weather to turn. Right. Most companies do close to that, uh, but they do they do something, but it's done last minute without as much thought or effort as it could be done. And it's not built as well as it could be done because I need it today. And that's just not a good place to be in. It's not not only not a good business plan, it's just not a good way to live your life. It's, it makes the business really unenjoyable if you don't have these protections and systems in place already, right? By the way, if you do it well and you do it once, you could just keep pulling that lever over and over again. So it's a skill of mindset, but it's really a, uh, you know, uh, I can't think of a word, word for it, but it's like if you could, you know, shoot free throws all day, it becomes second nature, mm -hmm. right? This becomes a second nature part of, part of, how your business works. That was, I would say that's the biggest thing is really 
are they doing the most basic stuff, right? Like the reporting, like the training, like doing a health and safety inspection, like selling maintenance agreements. That's a huge differentiator. And then am I being reactive, uh, passive or proactive? Mm. If you're proactive, you're going to do better. Everybody, it's like, it's not rocket science to tell you. By the way, everything, like, I, I feel like I'm a pretty smart guy, but I would tell you like everything I teach and do is pretty simple. Like it's all common sense shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, the common sense shit's what works. It's scalable. It's teachable. All the fun stuff. Yeah. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy and that everybody does it. No, but the best things are both simple and easy. Mm. And where people fall is the consistency. Yeah. Right. Like you'll find like, I, I, I teach this all the time. Like the most effective sales system in the industry by far for a technician is I notice most of what, right? I notice your system's over 10 years old. Most of our customers consider replacing this time because it just saves them so much money and they don't have to worry about breaking down. Can I ask why you haven't replaced your system? I notice most of why. Uh, I notice that you don't have uh, indoor air quality products. Most of our customers have uh, an air scrubber because it protects the, uh, the air that they breathe. The truth is you could either be a filter or you could buy a filter or you could be a filter. I prefer you buy a filter. Can I ask why you don't have an air scrubber, right? And I create this simple system where it's, I know it's most of why I literally sell everything in the house. So it is easy. It is simple. Right. But I've taught that, you know, hundreds of times, right? And good companies take it and they run. Mm-hmm. Average companies, they take it and they run with it for a week or a month. I come back two or three months later. And I say, give me an, I know it's most of why. And no one knows what the I'm talking about anymore because we stopped talking about two months ago. Right. So it's the consistency that they miss. Mm. So the best ideas are both easy and simple. And the key to making them work is is the consistency. Like you drive it until they die. Yeah. So how do you make sure that you are staying consistent? Like what are some of those systems and processes? I mean, we're we're going down the nitty gritty here, right? (laughs) Like uh, there's, there's a lot you do, right? Number one, I mean, from like that, I know I'll use that as the example, but this applies to lots of things, right? I mean, you'll never do be great. I know this most of why, unless you pre-set up your meetings and you have a plan and you're going to follow up with it and you're running an accessory program and you have a PowerPoint and a presentation. It's not just a dude in, in front of the room talking about what he feels like talking about, right? And if you do it with thought and being proactive, you'll naturally do better. Number two, if you're watching the numbers, you will see an uptick when you start using I know as most of why. And when it starts going down, we something's wrong. We got to figure out what it is. Most of the time, it's because we lost our consistency. Uh, ride-alongs. You're doing ride-alongs. We should make sure on every single call, without exception, they need to do I notice most of why, right? These are all simple processes and systems, but like ride-alongs are one of the most effective ways to train your team you could possibly ever do. And I've never talked to a contractor who's like, doesn't understand the value of ride-alongs, but I can't tell you how many contractors I've talked to that don't do them because, you know, hey, we're busy. I, I got to take care of this customer complaint instead of solving the problem that causes the customer complaints. Right. You know what I mean, so it, it's just a bunch of really basic stuff and like making a purposeful plan and making sure you're staying on top of it. Hmm. And then we could get like fancy and say, hey, we use like Trello as our initiative programming platform. You know, we keep a schedule of everything. We use calendar for everything. We could get like real sexy and detailed uh, if we want, but I feel like that's like a lot of information. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. 
<laughs> no, that's super helpful. And I guess, you know, going back to not having the call board filled and feeling like, you know, the phones aren't ringing as much as they should be with your experience at Clover Marketing, like what are you seeing that's working in marketing for the industry right now? So, you know, there's three things that work in marketing and they work without exception. It's actually the secret to marketing. It's consistency, longevity, and frequency. Now, the problem with that is all three of those things are expensive. So most contractors don't do them. Now, what I would tell you is I don't care if you're doing direct mail. If you do direct mail consistency consistently with enough frequency over a long period of time, direct mail does work. So is PPC, so is SEO, so is radio, so is television, so is billboards. Like they all work, right? Now the flaw to that is it's just very expensive to do that, right? Now there's things that are inexpensive like emails and text message and ringless voicemail, and we all should be pulling those levers. That's like the easiest in the world. It's free money. Mm-hmm. Um, but those larger scale marketing things, all those things work, but to make them work really depends on your size and where you're at. Like if you have a hundred thousand dollar budget, you're not doing SEO, or at least I hope you're not right. Somebody who says, Hey, we'll do your SEO for 500, a thousand dollars a month. I mean, they just can't win. It's not real, right? You have to play in things that you could dominate. Mm-hmm. So if that means I'm doing direct mail, it probably means if I have a hundred thousand dollar budget. It doesn't mean Phoenix is a huge city. A lot of people don't realize it's like the fourth or fifth biggest city in the United States. I can't send all of Phoenix. Not real. Not if I want to dominate it. Not if I want to be consistent, frequent, and um, <laughs> consistency, frequent, longevity. There we go. I forgot my own thing. I can do it for a long time, right? I just can't do that and mail all Phoenix. But what I can do is pick some key neighborhoods that I know are eight to 10 years old and they're going to have a bunch of you know AC units coming up to term and wire heaters and you know, they'll need water softeners and there's just money in those neighborhoods. I could mail the shit out of those people. Right. And by the way, I can also do some geofencing around that neighborhood and do some social media campaigns. I could have my tr- trucks drive around that area. I could have them hang out in front of that neighborhood in the gas station, right? That's where we get our gas. Uh, we could hire techs specifically in that area, right? We could talk to the HOA and we could be part of their actual community, right? We could... There's so much you can do to try own that neighborhood and have that consistency, longevity, and frequency, right? That's how you have success at. Now, what I would say is Parker and Sons has got like an FU budget. Like our strategy has entirely changed. Like there was a time at one point where our cost per acquisition was all the way down to $12 and we drove the shit out of that. Like it was amazing, right? Uh, I could tell you it's nowhere near that now, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be. Because Parker and Sons is like, hey, this company is buying this radio station and sounds like they're doing well. All right, buy three times as much as them, flush them out, and then we'll cut the budget after they're gone, right? Right. Most company can't do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so smaller companies just have to pick something to own. Uh, a good example is too, and I, I think neighborhoods are a good example, but another is like uh, here in Phoenix. I mean, it doesn't vote like this recently, but it is an overwhelmingly conservative or Republican city. Uh, and there are literally five major radio stations that are conservative formats. And regardless of what your political beliefs is, I don't give a shit. Your money's green. It's fine with me. And I think there's good people on both sides, right? Uh, there's one Democratic or progressive station, and it's not that big. But you know what? I could own that. 
Mm. No one else is on there. Those people are incredibly loyal listeners because there's nowhere else to go. Like that's an opportunity. Like you have to go where other people aren't and places that you could dominate. By the way, if that radio station is already dominated by Parker and Sons, which it is here in Phoenix, then yeah, maybe it's not the best place for you to go. There's other opportunities. There's as a smaller company, there's things that you're willing to do and able to do that big companies could never do. And you have to take advantage of that. I think that's a really important point about, you know, choosing one thing that you can really own and dominate because what I find is a lot of companies just spread little bits of money everywhere. That doesn't work. work. Yeah. All right. I'm not saying you should do one thing necessarily. That's maybe unsafe too. But if you're small enough and that's all you have the budget for, you don't really have a choice. Yeah. You know what I mean? But as you grow, you want to diversify too, right? You want to be in different areas. But you know, not at the cost of not owning something. By the way, owning something is all relevant. Like that radio station, if you could own the morning drive, that's good too. Like you got to take biteable chunks that you could actually have influence on. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we've covered a lot here, Josh, in terms of, you know, KPIs and reporting, slow Uh season and pricing and all these super key things. I guess, are there any last parting words of wisdom that you would have for any contractor listening? I mean, if I had any, any thoughts towards contractor, like just parting words of wisdom, I would, number one, know your numbers, track everything. Number two, lean towards action. I would rather run the wrong direction and find out quickly that I was wrong in the wrong direction than stay in, in a place where I know I'm going to fail. Mm. Um, so, you know, have that bias towards action. Uh, you know, it's the, uh, the uh, Marines, right? They always have a bias towards action. I think it's brilliant. And then the biggest thing is ultimately, if a business isn't growing, you may not like to hear it, but it's because of the person in charge. And you've gotten comfortable, you've accepted whatever it is. And there's all kinds of strategy. We can go all kinds of details of this. But if you want to really have, and this is my opinion, and this is kind of my lifestyle, my life choice too, right? My number one thing in life is growth. The second is contribution, right? Those are the two drivers I have in my life. Uh, If you want to have a successful business and you want to be successful in life, all you have to do is consistently grow. If I improve today compared to yesterday, and I do that every single day, success becomes inevitable. So go out, read books, talk to other contractors, visit other shops, hire badass coaches and consultants, do whatever you need to do. You don't have to be the expert on everything, but as you grow in your capabilities, your business will naturally grow with you. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you, Josh. I know our listeners are going to want to learn more about you. So what's the best way that they can connect with you? Let's make this easy. So I'm pretty good about checking my email, but I'm a busy dude and I travel a lot. So hit up my team, just hit support at growwithclover.com. Uh, if you have any questions on the stuff that we talked about, we'll give away a bunch of stuff. And then I know we're giving away a uh, fill your board course um, for uh, the slow season, like never not have a full board again. And pretty powerful, shit, to be honest. Just go to uh, growwithclover.com backslash free gifts. Or just email that support at growwithclover.com and uh, we'll get that stuff out to you. I appreciate you having me on. I hope I feel like this was drinking from a fire hose a little bit. It was a <laughs> lot of information very quickly. Um, but I hope everybody enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if they pick up a nugget or two, it's an introduction to you and they know how to find you now. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. All right, perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Josh. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Tools. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love if you could also share this episode with a fellow contractor who is ready to get off the tools and grow their business. And if you want more leads, sign up for our email list at reflectivemarketing.com, where we share weekly marketing insights that you can't get anywhere else. I'm Crystal Hobbs, and I hope you'll join me on the next episode of Beyond the Tools. See you next time.